Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I am joined by Nick Lamb. Nick, how are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Are you feeling okay? You're coming off like a ridiculous stretch of the past few weeks. Have you recovered at all? I am getting there, trying to prioritize sleep, as is the, the theme of what we'll obviously be, be talking yes. about today. But it, it definitely has been a pretty pretty crazy stretch. Uh, hosted the, the Raise the Bar Conference, the annual event that we do every year, which you know you've been an attendee previously. And then had three speaking engagements and other events kind of weekends back to back to back right after that. So this past week was the first week to actually kind of just be at home, be with the family, not travel and kind of settle back into normal routine. So some getting there. Yeah. So Nick mentioned kind of what he's been doing. So he had raised the bar conference a few weekends ago in Dallas. Obviously, this podcast is about connecting people to the best in the fit, the world of human performance and fitness and things like that. Well, Raise the Bar Conference is one of the premier face-to-face conferences for doing that. So if you're listening to this, you're not familiar with it, go Google it and you'll be blown away by the lineup. So definitely check that out. But then then you like had to go from Dallas to Minneapolis, right, for resistance training conference. So you go from like warm weather to snow. Yeah, and it literally did snow while we were there. I was, my flight got delayed. I wasn't sure if I was going to get out. Yeah. So... I'm I'm based in I'm based in Florida mm-hmm. now, so originally from New York. So I escaped escaped the snow and having to deal with that, worry about that, just like you, right? I, I'm still in the thick of the snow, man. The cold never leaves when you're north of the wall, like I am. So we're in April, and we're in April, still. and it's currently 25 degrees <laughs> in Iowa. So, but you got back, and now we're in the thick of prepping for the recovery and sleep summit, which we'll talk about towards the end of the episode. Uh, it definitely never stops for you, man. That's because that's a good thing. You're involved. You're you're leading the way, and uh, that's exactly who we want on this podcast. So, before we dive into the topic, just give a brief rundown of your background, what you've done, and what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I've been I've been in the industry for for over a decade, uh, coming up around around twelve years now, and. I, I think I've had maybe a unique path in a lot of ways in comparative to maybe like the traditional personal training route or the traditional strength and conditioning route. So started off working in big box gyms, bounced around a lot and actually spent a vast majority of my coaching career working within the rehabilitative space. So working alongside physical therapists, even chiropractors to, to a certain extent. As originally the goal was for me to go to physical therapy school, I'd gotten in, I was kind of right at the finish line, pulled the plug, decided not to to go that route, to stay, to stay in coaching. And that really kind of opened a a different, different path and different opportunities for me where I really fell into this niche and this focus of sleep about six, seven years ago, almost by almost by accident, where Obviously, it's unanimously something that comes up with clients and patients, right? If you if you work with human beings, you're going to come across people who struggle with sleep in some capacity. And so it was something that came up time and time again. 
it was something that came up a lot in the rehabilitative world as well, where we were finding people who were on very similar treatment plans, were doing all the things that were asked of them, but were getting markedly different outcomes on markedly different timelines. And it seemed to be sleep as one of those linchpins. Obviously, there's a, a multitude of things that play into the rehab process, but sleep was was a linchpin. It was something that we definitely saw coming up time and time again in those who were maybe struggling, where their their timelines were pushed back. And so that really led me down this this path and fascination around all things all things sleep, which is a big part of where I've been focused on over these, like I said, last six to seven years, trying to delve into research, into practical applications, into everything that I could possibly find, everything that I could possibly read. I started providing sleep coaching as a separate service, standalone service about five, six years ago. Chip that online, was doing consultations in that setting. And then really around three, four years ago, as I was transitioning into wanting to provide more industry education, I saw this massive void in the industry in terms of how sleep is talked about and how sleep is communicated and how we actually educate coaches around sleep. It tends to be pretty superficial in nature as we'll, you know, we'll talk more about and it's more sleep hygiene based. And so really focused on more of the education side of things, created a certification course and continued to do speaking engagements. And, and that's really where I've been focused over these last couple of years. That was where the the recovery and sleep summit that you mentioned was was born out of is just, can we provide more practical education around sleep and sleep and recovery for coaches and for practitioners? Awesome. Yes, you, you are the online sleep coach. That's how some, some might know you. Yes, there's, there's pros and cons to that. And, you know, I mean, part of it is like you mentioned, I, I'm yeah. very well entrenched in the event space. So hosting of events, not just that are mm-hmm. sleep and recovery related, but raise the bar and yep. other industry events, and speaking at other industry events, helping to host other industry events. And so, you know, sleep isn't necessarily the only yeah. thing that I do within the industry, but it is still how a lot of people will recognize me. And it is still put in the door. You hit the nail on the head earlier with, with the topic of sleep. It is unanimously touted as an important factor for all health performance, everything related to it. And also is the most, one of the most challenging, if not the most challenging aspect. It's like this weird dichotomy of every, like in nutrition, somehow we've gotten to this place where it's like vegetables are somehow controversial. Sleep is not, I don't know if anyone, maybe you, you, I mean, you probably know you've seen some crazy things, but I don't know if anyone that's been like, yeah, sleep, yeah, overrated, don't need it, not very good for health, not very good for longevity. Everyone is, everyone agrees, I think that it's important, but it is so hard to change. It's so hard to alter. And as you said, yeah, oh, go ahead. And it's, yeah, no, as I say, I mean, it, and just because it's related, related to that, you know, a couple of reasons why this is the, the case where unanimously it's, something that's valued and something that's talked about as being important. And then there is a breakdown in terms of how it's practically applied or how coaches can actually help clients with it. Right. And that's for, for a couple of different reasons. The first, and this is something that I still to this day find pretty fascinating and not sure why this necessarily is the case, but I think unanimously in the, in our industry, 
things get overcomplicated. Mm. I think we would we would agree, right? Right. You said like people are having nuanced conversations around vegetables, right? Like let's not overcomplicate this. Most people are not consuming enough vegetables, and you know let's let's just split the difference here. Let's not you know let's not get into these nuanced conversations, right? Yeah. Things get overcomplicated. Sleep tends to be this one thing in the industry that we do the opposite, that we actually oversimplify, right? A lot of coaches will have very superficial conversations with their clients around sleep, and they will gauge a lot of sleep health and sleep success just solely based around sleep duration, right? Which is really just the the tip of the iceberg. It's, hey, do you sleep eight hours? If you do, great. Okay, keep doing that. And if you don't, let's try and do that. Let's try and make it more of a more of a priority, right? And I don't want to say we need to to overcomplicate sleep and throw all these unnecessary variables into the equation, but it's certainly more entailed than just did you sleep seven or eight hours or did you not, right? There's definitely a lot more at play. I think the other aspect that's challenging sometimes for a lot of health and fitness coaches and strength and conditioning professionals is that there's another glaring way in which sleep is very different than exercise and nutrition there there's no willpower right you're not you're not motivating someone to sleep mm. better right i think with with exercise and nutrition there is a certain degree of okay i need to understand where this person's coming from i need to find strategies to get them to buy in and get them motivated right in ingratiate a little willpower get them to to want to do these things right that's part of my job as a as a fitness coach or part of my job as a nutrition coach is to get them motivated and will them to do these things. You can't think about sleep in that way and you can't communicate it in that way with your clients because there is no will power. There's, it's actually the opposite of that. You're trying to get people to actually surrender that will and you're getting them to actually place less stress and anxiety around the process, around their potential inability to, to sleep. We can obviously talk you know, more, more about that, but I think with those those two areas are why part of why we see, you know, again, this unanimous understanding that sleep is important, but then it doesn't really make up much of any coaches actually right. coaching process. Now, now when you say that there's no willpower around it, you're, are you like, there's, there's, there's willpower on the behaviors surrounding sleep, right? But not like you can't will yourself there, to better there, sleep yeah, where you so can will yourself to have more effective workouts or try harder things like that, that might lead to more effective results or better results, but you can't just will yourself to have better quality sleep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. There's, there's, I guess there's, there's no, what I mean is there's no will power in action of sleep itself. And I think sometimes sleep will get lumped into exercise or into sports performance as the act of performing, right? Like, getting to the point where you're trying to perform for sleep. And people will actually have, people that are struggling with sleep will actually have performance anxiety pertaining to their sleep and their inability to sleep. Not in the same context as athletics, obviously, but people will have this performance anxiety where they'll place pressure on themselves to to sleep and to sleep well, to do it well. And part of the, one of the most important things we do in the coaching process is to get them away from that, to get them not thinking in that way. But but yes, for sure, you know, there is willpower in the getting them to to buy into the process overall and getting them to to do these behaviors that 
that are necessary in order to make some make some changes. Yeah, or just yeah, sure. getting to the point where they are, you know, ready to make it a more more of a priority, whatever that ends up looking like. Again, we'll talk about how it's not just, hey, get to bed earlier or get more sleep. But yeah, this is always left to just like a list of things. And I've I've done it. You know, I think coaches, they know it's important, but it, yeah, it's it's something where they don't exactly know how to approach. And when I was in the collegiate setting, man, it's always in the back of my head. I'm like, oh, gosh, I I know this. I know this is a problem with my athletes. I know they're not paying good enough attention to this. And I, yeah, I, I admit I did not know how to help them with this thing that I felt like if we could make an impact, um, it would change their performance and change, change everything about them as an athlete. So let's talk about like the common things you hear surrounding sleep and really in that list of sleep hygiene, these, these things we often hear about, you know, yeah. set a nighttime routine. And maybe that's, that sounds like maybe one that might cause some of the anxiety of like, oh, I need to have this specific routine or it's a, you know, limit light, limit as much light exposure as possible, or make sure it's as quiet as possible in the room. We hear these things and then the person who needs a white noise machine or needs a fan is like, well, am I, what's wrong with me? I sleep better with a fan. Is that, is that true? Or is something wrong with me? What are some other things that you, is there anything else surrounding sleep hygiene that you hear? Yeah, I know. I think, I think honestly, the biggest problem with, with sleep hygiene. And when we say sleep hygiene, like you said, we're really just talking about these non-specific sleep recommendations, sleep lists, the field of sleep optimization, right? That is just general. These things that we, we, for the most part, know can help to benefit your, your sleep. The problem with sleep hygiene doesn't even, doesn't necessarily lie in any of the the recommendations or the strategies that that show up on these lists, right? Like those things that you mentioned, having a routine, which yes, it can contribute maybe to a little more of that stress and anxiety if someone's placing, you know, if, if they're trying to change too many things and they're trying to come up with this crazy routine without just doing it more progressively. So yes, it definitely can. Or, you know, focusing on light or any of these things that we'll see on the list. Because more often than not, and I've seen you know, most of these lists, right? The top 10 tips, top seven tips. Most of the things that show up on these lists, I don't really have a problem with, and I think can be valuable strategies and they can help people that are, that are struggling. The problem really lies in the fact that there's no context. There's no individuality to that person. If we're saying sleep is something that the people that you work with are going to spend a third of their life doing, and that is going to impact every single facet of their health, every single facet of how they perform. Every single facet of how they show up in their day-to-day -day life for the people that count on them and the people that they care about, then we need to look at it through the lens of it actually making up a component of our coaching process, right? If it's that important, if it's that valuable, if it affects that many things, it can't be something that we just throw a general list of, of things at, right? I always use the example, you would never have someone, if you're a, a strength conditioning coach or a personal trainer, you'd never have someone come to you right? And your goal is to provide them exercise and you give them a list of your 10 favorite exercises or your 10 top exercises and just tell them to go have at it, right? You would understand, assess, screen, look at where they're starting from, what their biggest voids are, what they actually need, provide those strategies and bridge that gap and then help them along the way. And sleep requires 
most, if not all of those same elements, right? Obviously not in the same context necessarily. You know, the other component to this of why this individuality is so important is one of the primary reasons why most people are struggling with sleep is behavioral in nature. It's the thoughts and perceptions that they have. It's the stress and anxiety that's built up and how all those things actually lead into their routines and the habits that they have in place. Are they confident in their ability to actually sleep and be a good sleeper? Or do they have these misconceptions and beliefs around their sleep? And so you can't address those things and you can't improve those things unless you're putting your coaching hat on, right? Unless you're looking at this in a lens of coaching of what does this person need? How can I actually coach them through, through that process? And I think because of that, and because of the fact that we really, to this point, have not had good systems and principles around sleep, it is hard for the vast majority of coaches to know how to actually make improvements. Like you said, if you're in a collegiate setting and you're working with a team and you have all these athletes who are struggling, you know, in the same way that you have all these systems and principles, or hopefully you have these systems and principles that govern your programming and your nutrition recommendations, all these other things that you do with your athletes or your clients, you need to have some semblance of those for sleep. Otherwise, of course, it's going to be a bit of the wild, wild west, right? Of course, it's going to be kind of all over the map. And of course, you're not really going to know what, what you're doing, what you're, yeah, you're just throwing things in. out there and hoping some of them, some of them work for sure. So let's, let's dive into some of these individual aspects. What for sure. Yeah. If, you know, as much as you can with the time we have, what are these individual factors that coaches need to, you know, this episode probably just more of an awareness thing. Like, what do we need to be aware of? And, you know, if there are any actionable steps coaches can take, what would those be? Yeah. So what I'll, what I'll do, I'll take a step back here because I think it's important to, to understand a few things. Firstly, I think it's important to understand how and why most sleep issues actually develop. And so the way we categorize these, we call these the three Ps, and there's actually a, a fourth kind of added, added component that, that gets tacked on at the end. But the three Ps are the three primary factors and reasons why sleep issues develop outside of medical conditions. So outside of a diagnosed sleep disorder, outside of a medical condition that may adversely affect sleep, Obviously, for sake of the time that we have, we're not going to necessarily get to dive into those things and how to screen for those things. What I will point out with those things is they definitely exist. They definitely are there. You definitely need to understand and be able to screen for them appropriately. But they make up a much lower percentage of the people struggling than you think, right? Sometimes when we think about people who have sleep issues, it, it gets lumped into everybody's got these sleep disorders or these conditions that are adversely affecting sleep. It's a much, much smaller percentage than, than you would actually think. So again, outside of those areas, you've got these three Ps. The first is predisposing factors, right? Predisposing factors are anything that makes an individual more likely to deal with sleep issues versus the norm or versus someone else. So higher levels of anxiety, lower distress tolerance, somebody who ruminates in their thoughts. We can put age in this category because there are certain things that change as you age. All these things that, again, make it more likely that that person is going to have sleep issues in some capacity. 
for those individuals does not mean that all hope is lost, that there's nothing that can be done. It just means we need to understand those things and give consideration to those things up front so that they don't manifest into longer, worse issues around their sleep and probably in other areas yeah. of their life. And I would imagine that when you're working with people, it's like a, like a movement screener assessment. We would never want to make someone like think they're broken or they, oh man, you got your, your shoulder doesn't move right. We, we better fix that or you're going to get hurt. We probably to be careful about how we communicate that, which I'm sure you'll talk about. So. Yeah, no, a hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially if you've got somebody who's been struggling with sleep for a long period of time. Yes, that has affected their health to this point. I'm sure of it. However, you're not going to allow them to become hyper-focused on those things, right? They already are hyper-focused on those things and their hyper-focus on those areas is a large part of what is contributing to them not being able to rewrite their story, right? So for, for sure. And we'll, We'll definitely talk more about that and the the mindset piece and how people sure. people perceive these things. So then the next the next factor is the more acute variables. We call these the precipitating factors, and these are things that every single person listening has experienced and will experience in some way, shape, or form at some point. Right? Nobody nobody sleeps three hundred and sixty five days out of the year perfectly without any interruption without things being changed. Things that fall under this category can be an increased period of stress, right? Maybe you've got a higher amount of stress during these periods of of a few days or a few weeks comparatively to to another time of year, right? For example, for me, this is a very stressful stressful time between coming off the base of the bar and then trying to coordinate over 60 speakers for the Recovery and Sleep Summit. Definitely a stressful time. Definitely not my best sleeping month of the year, right? travel and being sick even, right? If you're sick for a week where sleep is going to suffer for a period of time, these are the acute variables. But where this becomes really important is not allowing those acute short-term situations to turn into more long-term issues. And that leads into the last set of factors, what we call the perpetuating factors. And these are more of the, the chronic issues where, and this is where people really get stuck. This is where a good majority of people get stuck and are struggling And these are where people's fundamental beliefs, expectations, and attitudes have changed around their sleep. They've lost their confidence in their ability to sleep. Typically, the onset was one of those other factors, right? Maybe it was a predisposing factor, right? They had higher levels of anxiety that they never necessarily dealt with that contributed to some poor sleeping. And now they believe that they are just destined to be a crappy sleeper. And that's always how they're going to be. And that really snowballs and that really becomes their reality. Or you have somebody who maybe they've changed jobs or they've moved or they've, again, gotten into a period where they've had more acute stress and it caused their sleep to suffer and they allowed the the mindset piece to continue to snowball where they continued to struggle with sleep. So again, these perpetuating factors are where most people are going to end up getting stuck and if they've been struggling for any period of time. So you can think about those perpetuating factors in two ways. One, if you have clients or athletes who are there, this is where you're going to have your greatest ability as a coach to make an impact within sleep, to pull them out of that place. It's also something you want to be mindful of if you don't necessarily have clients or athletes who are at that point, making sure that they don't get to that point when they have some of these other factors, right? 
like for example, for an athlete who's who's in season, right, or they're they're traveling, making sure that those acute struggles that they have don't turn into more chronic issues. So I think understanding that those behavioral perpetual factors are real and can be very impactful can be important on multiple fronts. And then the last kind of component to this that formed this fourth added factor that I mentioned is something called conditioned arousal. Now, this is where because of those perpetuating chronic factors, now there has been built up to the point where there is a a learned association and almost expectation to be in bed and be awake to where now their bed, bedroom, bedtime, bedtime routines have all become triggers and associations for being awake as opposed to being asleep. And so I, I took a step back and broke these down because especially with the perpetuating factors and with that conditioned arousal, those really become the target of our behavioral coaching strategies, our you know, individualized coaching strategies. And those are also, those are the areas that you're not going to see show up on hygiene lists, right? Those are the strategies and things that you're not going to see discussed in the top seven or top 10 tips, but they're where we need to start with people. Because if we think about it, if somebody has negative perceptions and beliefs around their sleep and they don't have any confidence in their ability to sleep and every time they think about going to sleep and every time they get into bed, they're wide awake because of that association, you're not going to lifestyle or hygiene your way out of that, right? No degree of lifestyle hacks is going to change that for somebody. They're going to be stuck in that cycle until we help them to break it. Right. No, I'm glad you did that because it, it just really highlights why individualization is needed. You know, th- this happened with nutrition, what, a decade-ish ago, or there was this kind of, oh, we can't just give people a list of things and expect nutrition to meaningfully change across the board. Oh, there's this massive behavioral aspect to it. And people are dealing with different things. They're beliefs around food, their confidence with what they can and cannot do. It's really interesting. There's a lot of, par- there's a lot of parallels here. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, there is, there is a hundred percent, a lot of parallels and it's, I've actually had multiple conversations with like, for example, with people in pre- within precision nutrition. So precision nutrition is also prioritizing sleep. Now they were obviously part of at the forefront of launching nutrition coaching as being something that was a lot more viable and a lot more talked about. And there's absolutely parallels to where, and I know it sounds crazy to say now because of how many nutrition coaches there are and how many facets of nutrition coaching there are, to where 10, 15 years ago, nutrition coaching was not looked at as a viable form of coaching. There was so much uncertainty around scope of practice. And it just, again, like you said, it didn't seem like it was something that would actually be coached. And so, Sleep is something that is being viewed similarly, right? I've had a sleep coaching course, a course that helps coaches to actually implement this into their process and whether they want to create a separate stream of revenue or they want to adjunct it to their mm-hmm. existing coaching. And, you know, the response has been been up and down. And in part because there is still effort needed to promote awareness around this actually being a viable thing. But 
I can say pretty confidently, and we've already started to see pockets of this, but you're going to see this become much more prevalent. You're going to see more sleep coaches, more sleep and recovery focus minded coaches. So I think another element to this is if you're a coach who's listening, this is an opportunity for you to be ahead of the curve, so to speak, right? If you can really start to ingrain this into what you're doing with your existing clients and your existing athletes, have this something you really build into your toolbox. And again, whether you have it as a separate service or it's just an adjunct add-on coaching session or however it's integrated, but you've got the potential to have another added point of differentiation in your business and something where, you, again, you can kind of be ahead of the ahead of the curve yeah. on that. But but yeah, there is definitely a lot of, of parallels with yeah. with the nutrition side of things. So sure. what are some individual factors that once people have learned about and they've learned how to navigate and leverage help them a lot and, and don't allow these precipitating factors become become perpetuating? Yeah. So the I think the first the first one to start with, and this is where I'll very often start the coaching process and recommend other coaches start the coaching process is just taking an honest assessment of what the beliefs and perceptions that they currently have are, right? How do they actually perceive their sleep situation, their sleep ability or inability? How do they perceive their past successes and failures within within sleep? And again, we're seeing parallels to other facets of coaching, right? This is, if someone has come to you for fitness coaching and someone has come to you as a personal trainer or strength and conditioning coach, you're going to want to know these things too, right? What is their mindset around their health and their goals and their ability to achieve those things? What is some of the success or failures that they've had with exercise to that point? Have you worked with a personal trainer before? Have you been in a gym before? What, you know, what, what caused you to stop? What have you been successful with previously? What have you liked? What have you not liked? Okay. So again, the parallels are, are there to what we need to do within sleep. It requires all these same elements of coaching. So it's, it's getting that honest snapshot, especially for these negative perceptions that people will have. And we find that this comes up a lot with sleep. People will have myths and misconceptions that they believe around sleep. They will have lost their confidence in their ability to sleep. They will dramatize the situation quite a bit. They're also pretty poor at self-estimating their their sleep and their sleep quality. So the first step is having all those things understood and and out there in the sure. in the open, right? Because now you can actually start to restructure those things with people. And that's not something that happens overnight. And it's not something that's easy by any means. But again, this has to be the first step because if we don't do that, they're always going to come back to those fundamental beliefs, right? That is their reality, whether it's true or not, right? It's a lot of them come down to these, these cognitive distortions. And if you've never looked into cognitive distortions from cognitive behavioral therapy, incredibly applicable for, for coaching to understand these distortions, how they develop, why people believe them and how to actually overcome them. Things like all or nothing thinking. A lot of people will have this all or nothing thinking around their sleep. I get eight hours and it's a success or I don't get eight hours and it's not a success. Yeah. Right. And there's a reason why people will have that all or nothing thinking, but helping them to actually overcome that, that all or nothing mentality, that all or nothing, that all or nothing thinking. So 
what we do in this restructuring process is we just help them to reframe, restructure the thoughts in a more positive way. So one of the things it's almost, I call it putting the thoughts on trial, right? Can we find evidence? Can we find some, something that shows the contrary to what they, what they believe, or can we help them frame it in a more positive light, in a more positive way? And when we're doing that, I actually have them as maybe silly as it might sound, or, you know, seemingly simple as it might sound, I have them actually write these things out, these new reframed beliefs out. I have them ingrain it in conversation and say it out loud and talk about it with other people because you want to take the steps to where that becomes their their new reality, right? To where that that is how they actually start to to feel. Mm. Right. So again, I and I kind of briefly mentioned this example earlier. Somebody who's been struggling with sleep for a while and one of the the perceptions that they have is, well, I've been a poor sleeper for so long that I'm one, I'm just a crappy sleeper and it's adversely affected my health in so many ways. It's going to cause these health problems. I'm kind of screwed anyway. So kind of what's the point, right? And the way that we we restructure that for somebody can be as simple as, first of all, periods of not sleeping well, periods of insomnia, periods of whatever you want to call it, have not actually been shown to cause adverse health risks or adverse health outcomes to the extent in which you're thinking about it or to the extent in which they're portrayed. And in fact, they're quite common for most people to deal with at some point, right? Nobody has perfect sleep. Everybody goes through bouts of time where they struggle with their sleep. And even more importantly, it is never too late to actually rewrite your sleep story, right? Even if you've been struggling with sleep for years, within a week or two weeks of making some improvements and you actually sleeping a little bit better, sleeping of a little bit better quality, we're going to see a lot of your health metrics improve. We're going to see you feel a lot better. Okay, you're going to get back to a, a baseline of things pretty quickly. And the nice thing with that, when we talk about buy-in and we talk about you know, getting people bought into the process, the nice thing with sleep I think as you started to coach this is people do see results pretty quickly, right? One night of sleep, especially if it's not a good night of sleep that they haven't gotten in a while, people hmm. are going to feel different. They're going to feel better. They're going to see the results pretty quickly. Whereas if someone comes for a, a personal training session, right? And that may be their first or second session. They're not going to go home in the mirror and look in the mirror and say, oh shit, this is crazy. The results are, are amazing. I feel so much better. I look so much better. Yeah. It's going to take time and it's getting them to play the long game. We want people to play the long game with sleep, but people can see and feel better, especially in those day-to-day -day things, their energy levels, their mood, their ability to focus. And we can use that momentum to keep people on the, the process because they're going to see results relatively quickly. So that's, you know, there's a lot of strategies that can fit under that restructuring, or I should say behavioral bucket, but that thought restructuring is incredibly impactful and it's usually the first place that we have to for sure to start. yeah it's an interesting parallel or point with regards to working out and training is you, not only do you, does it take a while to see results but once you start it's it's actually the opposite effect where you probably feel worse for a while and you've gotta you've gotta overcome that as your body adapts yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you're, mm -hmm. you're sore you're more tired yeah. you're actually you're adapting to those things and if you're 
you know, if you're trying to put mm-hmm. on muscle, for example, like it, it, there may actually be a period of time where you yeah. bulk, so to speak, right? Where you actually put on some size and then create like creating muscle takes time and it actually takes some some size to do that. And there's so there's it's a lot more of the the longer game. Whereas with with sleep, I find it's easier to get people to to buy in and pretty quickly into the process once yeah. they start to, <clears throat> to to feel better. The the hard part with the buy-in is more at the 100%. onset of the process, right? It's getting people to actually make a few of those changes and committing to the process first. But once they're actually in it, you're going to see results faster, quicker, and easier than in some of these other variables. But it's sometimes more challenging at the yeah. actual beginning. And part of that is going to change over time as sleep coaching becomes more more viable and more kind of widely accepted among the general population. Now it's something that if it comes up, it's not, it's not something that people are actively seeking out, right? If someone's trying, if someone has gone to the gym and not had success with that and not stuck to it and they walk in and they have no clue what they're doing and where to go, they know their next step is to hire a personal trainer, right? That is the, it's in their head. It's what they're, what they're going to be thinking about. Someone who currently might be struggling with sleep and has been struggling they might not necessarily connect that to, oh, I need to go and hire a sleep coach. But it's on us to be the, sure. the front line of that and the education and awareness around that. But that is going to change over time. Yeah. That's where, again, I say being on the the front end of that yeah. is, is going to be beneficial. Are there a few <clears throat> like big rock, high impact practices or factors that you know, that are kind of have a physiological basis that either people are overlooking, not considering that once they get addressed or they learn how to navigate it, that contribute to these, you know, the factors that become big deals. Like what are, are there a couple of physiological things that once they understand like, oh, well, this is now how I am individually. Now that I know this, I am a better sleeper and I can achieve this. Yeah. So I think what you mean is more on the just general understanding of their own physiology, not necessarily the individual beliefs. Yeah. How does the physiology inform the belief? Their own individual, how does their own underlying physiology impact sleep? So I think, again, I'll take a step back just because I think it's important to, to go through this. And if you're doing this with a client, I think it's important to also educate them on this as well. So I think People have to understand from a physiological standpoint, what actually allows sleep Mm -hmm. to occur, right? What is it that, and this is crazy to to think that for the most, the vast majority of people, they have no clue what's actually going on with this thing that they do, that they're in a comatose like state for a third of their life, or roughly a third of their life. They just lay down, they put their head on the pillow. They don't really know how it happens. So what are the actual physiological mechanisms that allow for sleep to occur or or to not occur right so there are there are three there are three to to really understand the first is the sleep pressure system okay so the sleep pressure system is the easiest to understand and the easiest to to work with so the sleep pressure system operates where for every second that you're awake your sleep pressure builds up so every second that you are awake, you are using energy, right? For anybody who remembers old 
science classes, ATP, right? ATP being the, the currency and the fuel for energy. ATP is broken down. And a byproduct or one of the byproducts of ATP is a substance called adenosine. Okay, so as you're awake and using energy, which is for everything, for every second that you're awake, your brain is functioning, your organ systems are functioning, right? This adenosine that's broken down as a result of ATP builds up in the brain. And it continues to build up until it hits a certain threshold. That sleep pressure just continues to linearly build up until it hits a certain threshold where sleepiness is more overwhelming and it plays into allowing you to fall asleep and actually get restful sleep. There are things that we do and things in our life that can potentially disrupt that sleep pressure, right? One of the most common is, for example, caffeine, right? So the way caffeine actually works, as I'm sipping coffee throughout this, <laughs> throughout this podcast, one of the ways in which caffeine actually works is it binds two receptors in the brain that are for that adenosine. It blocking the ability for adenosine to latch on and provide the signal for sleepiness. Therefore, you get an increased signal for alertness and feeling awake. It's also why you experience a caffeine crash because adenosine continues to accumulate and the previous does not disappear. Okay? So once the caffeine actually wears off, you have a flood of this adenosine, a flood of this sleep pressure and the crash, hence the, yeah. the caffeine crash. Well, so caffeine is a is a, a big consideration. The timing of caffeine, people metabolize caffeine at very different rates, right? The other is napping, right? Mm. So if you're a napper, and I myself am a napper, I do enjoy napping. I do like napping. But we need to give consideration to who is napping and to when they're napping, because if you are napping, you are sleeping. And the way in which we deplete the sleep pressure, the only way we flush out the sleep pressure is via sleep. When you get the right amount and the right quality of sleep, you are diminishing that, hopefully diminishing that sleep pressure where there's none residual. There's no sleep debt, so to speak, right? If you're napping, you are sleeping. So therefore you are taking that sleep pressure down. And where this can potentially become a problem is if you're napping too late, too long, or not in the right mm. context, and you don't have enough healthy sleep pressure built up when you're trying to sleep at night. Because again, this is one of the mechanisms that actually physiologically allows this to occur. So if you don't have the adequate sleep pressure, you're not going to get the best possible sleep. Just not going to happen, right? Whether it's the ability to fall asleep, stay asleep, whatever it might be, sleep is going to suffer. And in fact, we actually use this sleep pressure to our advantage. We can actually sometimes have people stay up a bit later than they would normally think because that sleep pressure becomes so overwhelming, so high that they just fall asleep. Mm. Despite their ruminating thoughts, they just fall asleep and they get a better quality of sleep thereafter. That's sleep pressure. That's the, the first mechanism. So understanding that, understanding some of the things that we can do within that, we also know that moderate, as an added thing here, we also know that moderate level of exercise, so moderate level of activity, increases the rate and accumulation of adenosine buildup, which is not surprising, right? You're using more energy. There's a, it's a constrained model. Yeah. There's a tipping point, of course. But we know that moderate intensity exercise, as long as it's not too late in the day, can actually benefit sleep 
It also triggers the immune system. It causes an immune system response similar to when you're sick, mm. right? When you're sick, the only thing you want to do is sleep. So a similar type of type of response. But that's that's sleep pressure. The next is the one that is more complicated and a bit more nuanced to actually understand, and that's circadian rhythm timing. So we could have a conversation on circadian rhythm, circadian biology. It could be a whole podcast or two in and of itself. But basically, these circadian clocks, these internal clocks operate on a roughly 24-hour rhythm, and they are everywhere in your physiology. They are in every single cell. They're in every organ system. They are one of the primary ways in which your body actually regulates mm. homeostasis. Okay? Without these, these clocks, things would operate completely out of whack, right? These internal clocks will dictate many, many physiological processes when certain hormones rise and fall. And one of those variables is sleep timing. What is the preferred time to be going to sleep? What is the preferred time to actually be waking up? Now, Within sleep timing specifically, there are two things that actually influence that. There is a genetic component, right? We've prob most have probably heard this in some way, shape, or form, right? A morning lark or a night owl, right? This genetic predetermined disposition to prefer to go to sleep a little bit later and wake up a little bit later or vice versa. There is also the environmental lifestyle factors that influence the circadian rhythm timing as well. And these are the things that maybe don't get as much attention. And this is why I don't necessarily like to focus a lot on the genetic predispositions because they're important. You want to understand them. They can be interesting. But sometimes people will believe that they are set within that, right? If you're a morning lark, everything about your schedule needs to be early. You can only do productive work early. Right. You can only go to sleep early. And that's just not necessarily the case. And I think the environmental factors make up a much higher percentage. So the environmental factors or things that can influence are light or the absence of light. And this is the big one because there is a small cluster of cells within the brain called the SCN. I always mispronounce it, so I'm not going to I'm not going to pronounce it, but it's a cluster of cells within the brain that we've deemed the quote-unquote master clock. And what it means by that is this cluster of cells within the brain will actually communicate to all these other cells throughout our physiology and tell them what to do and how to do it. So this is why light gets so much attention and why light is so important. Light, okay, there are melanopsin cells within the eye that will perceive light. They will take in light or they're aware of the absence of light. These melanopsin cells have a direct line to the SCN, to those cluster of cells within the brain that then, again, go and speak to and communicate with all these other clocks throughout your, your physiology. So all those daily rhythms of hormones and all these other aspects of your physiology, including preferred wake time and preferred sleep time, are going to be strongly influenced by light. And this is where we see a lot of people struggle because vast majority of people are getting only artificial light during the day. They're not getting much sunlight and they're exposed to a lot of artificial light in the evenings as well. They're not getting that same degree of darkness. Even in their actual rooms, there is, you know, cable box and phone light and all these other lights that are actually 
yeah. trickling in. And that actually plays a, hmm. plays a massive role. Some of the other circadian variables are temperature, food timing, all this. We don't have necessarily sure. time to break, break all of them down. But those, those are the factors when we talk about circadian rhythms. And then the last mechanism is what I call the arousal spectrum. Now, I choose to teach it this way and I choose to talk about it this way, especially in the context of clients, because I think it's a lot easier to, to actually understand and to teach. And essentially with this arousal spectrum, we can liken it to the autonomic nervous system in a, in a way, but we know the autonomic nervous system is not as simple as sometimes people like to portray it as where it's just yeah, on off switch, parasympathetic, yeah. right? It's <laughs> right on off switch. That's just, if you've studied the autonomic nervous system at all, that is not how it operates. Okay. So with this arousal spectrum, it's, I look at it as essentially a dimmer switch to where the dimmer switch turned all the way down, right? Arousal turned all the way down is most optimal for sleep. Obviously, if that arousal spectrum is turned all the way up, it's a you know, full-blown state of panic where sleep is impossible. But even small ticks or turns of that dimmer switch can potentially disrupt sleep. And this is where winding down and making sure you are physiologically ready for sleep becomes so, so important. And this is where I, I briefly mentioned this earlier, where sometimes the hyper-focus on sleep duration actually creates other problems, where an example is someone goes out with, with friends or coworkers for, for dinner and they get home at, let's say it's 10 o'clock and they're still pretty amped up right? Physiologically, they're, they're, you want to call them sympathetic driven, whatever. They're not ready for sleep. Their arousal spectrum is turned up. They're not physiologically ready, but they might need to be up at five or six for work the next day. And so the common intuition is going to tell them, I need to just get into bed and try and get my seven or eight hours. And this is where we can start to create other problems because first of all, they're not going to get seven or eight hours. But now they are creating or perpetuating negative feedback loops because they're going to spend time lying in bed, not actually sleeping. So when we talked about that conditioned arousal, the learned association and expectation to be in bed and be awake. The more people are spending time in bed, not actually sleeping, the more those things become, become a reality. And again, they're not going to get the, the targeted amount anyway. So I'm always more apt for somebody in that situation to prioritize winding down, making sure they're physiologically ready, even if it means they're getting a lesser sleep duration, it's going to be a better quality and they're going to be setting themselves up better in the long run. So we know that you have educational resources available. Where else can, can coaches and trainers go from here if they want to take the step of helping their clients out with this, with their sleep? Yeah. So I think one, if you're, if you want to just have the initial starting point. We, we have a free event that we host every year, a free virtual event. It's called the Virtual Recovery and Sleep Summit. This will be the fourth year that we're doing it. It's going to be at, shortly after this, so this episode is, is released. It's April 28th through the 30th. It is completely free to attend. There will be a lot of sleep-centric content and a lot of recovery-focused content. There's also going to be a ton of other content. We get Every topic that you can possibly imagine from the realm of behavioral psychology to financial literacy and kind of everything in between. The event is really taken on a life of its own, but you're also going to get talks from 
myself and people like Dr. Greg Wells and people that are well entrenched within the sleep space. So you're going to get a really good initial exposure to that. There's also CEUs that are built in for CEUs. It's always a, always an added bonus. And that's just a, a good starting point. I also have a ton of free resources to introduce you to the world of sleep as well on my site, sleepcoachforce.com. And then, you know, if it's something where you do feel that you want to take a bit of a deeper dive and you do think it's something that would be beneficial in your coaching and in your business, of course, I do have a, a full, the full course, the full certification course that really sets you up from A to Z on what to do, how to assess, how to screen, how to actually coach, how to integrate it into what you do, how to market it, all of those things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Sleep Summit is incredible and keeps bigger and better and well, better in most most ways. There's this one guy that you have speaking that, I mean, you were scraping the bottom of the barrel and that, that you know, that'd be me. <laughs> yeah, you know, or you know what it is this year is a lot more in-person events are back and, you know, kind of in full force. So there was so many speakers that were already committed mm. to in-person events. And so, like you said, I was, you know, I wanted to get over 60 speakers this year and I was at yeah, 59. 5859. You just had to take anybody. I mean, I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it is what it is at that point, right? So, yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, so obviously, like links to all Nick's website, how to sign up for the Recovery and Sleep Summit. Um, Where can people, if they want to follow you personally, where can they find you? Yeah, so easiest would be on on social media, on Instagram. I am at the online sleep coach. So, T H E online sleep coach. And that's kind of the the link and main main hub, even for stuff outside of the realm of sleep. If you're interested in learning more about Raise the Bar, it's at Raise the Bar event on Instagram. We just literally just finished up the this previous year. So we won't have details on the 2024 event for, for a little bit, but, you know, definitely stay tuned. For yeah, that it's probably not ever too early to get hyped for that event. It's yeah, like we talked earlier, it's definitely pretty no. So Yeah, that was that was a lot of great information, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and you sharing. And yeah, just everything you do, because, you know, if anyone hasn't followed Nick, he's he's doing a ton of great things in the industry. And man, like we talk about connection, like this podcast is all about. He will connect you to the best and he is one of the best. So make sure you check out his his social medias, make sure you check out the Sleep Summit and make sure you check out Raise the Bar. You will definitely not uh, not regret it. So thanks, Nick. And we will uh, definitely probably talk to you in the future. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate you having me on. There's no no video to this. So you, you, you won't be able to tell that I'm blushing over here. But but yeah, no, I appreciate I appreciate that and appreciate the the support. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, Please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.